Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. friends. Welcome to Crime Will Tell. I'm Jamie. I'm Carrie. Mm-hmm. How you doing? I'm okay. Rumor on the street is this is going to be a sad one. Yep. You're correct. Yeah. I just gave you a heads up. Yeah, it's fucking sad. So you have you have some bourbon to I, cry I into? I have my tumbler. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Clink. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Sorry, before we get into the case, can I just do a quick shout out? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I just want to do a quick shout out to one of our straight up OG fans. Since day one, she has been listening. She's been actively like broadcasting to anyone who will listen to be like, hey, will you listen to this? You should listen to this. This is a really good podcast. You should listen to this. Oh, you like true crime? Oh, you should listen to this. Yeah, she's her name is Kate. Hey, Kate girl. And I got a chance to, she doesn't live in our state and she was here visiting and I got to see her and spend time with her today. And it was really, really fun and exciting to see her. And yeah, and she's just, she's just very excited and, and just full of enthusiasm for our podcast. And it was literally like, Hey, when is your next episode coming out? Aw, Kate. Yeah. You're awesome. Just wanted to say, Kate, thank you. Thank you for telling everybody that'll listen to you to listen to us. And thank you for always listening and being an OG fan. That's awesome. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for letting me do that shout out. I just wanted to say it was really good to see her today. That's awesome. Yeah. And that fun, happy note, let's get into some serious sadness, shall we? I'm going to bring it way down. Way down. All right. This case is another one about greed. This is just kind of a running theme it seems in murder cases and a band of greedy assholes who do bad things. It also ties in like complications caused by someone doing their job very poorly. And then other people going above and beyond to solve this case. Okay. But there is a huge, huge trigger warning for this case. All of our episodes, of course, have stories about murders, but this case actually involves the murder of a very young child. So I just want to be very clear about that before we get going. And if this case is too tough to listen to, that is totally understandable. And we'll hopefully catch you on the next one. But um, I just wanted to, to throw that out there before we got started. Okay. Duly noted. So on the morning of July 6th in 1979, two women went to the house of Diana Wanstroth, which was in a quiet, upscale neighborhood just outside of Houston, Texas. A neighbor whose name was Janice and her housekeeper had gone over to the house because they were going to help Diana prepare for an anniversary party that she was having. So they were just going to kind of help her clean up and get prepared for this party. But when they got to the house, they, they knocked on the front door, got no answer. So they kind of just felt like something was up, just something was off. 
So they ended up going around to the back of the house and went to the back door, which was unlocked. So they went ahead and Mm. just went into the house. And when they got inside, they found Diana curled up on the floor of the den and obviously had a gunshot wound to the head. Her husband, John, was also in the den. He was dead in his chair, like his lazy boy. And to add to the devastation, the housekeeper went to the nursery and found Diane and John's 14-month-old son, Kevin, dead in his crib. Oh, my God. So the whole family wiped out. Yeah. And Kevin, the baby, had been shot in the back of the head. Obviously, these these women were just absolutely horrified and ran out of the house and went to call police. I can't even imagine finding a scene like that. Yeah. Jesus. So Detective Johnny Bonds, who was with the Houston Police Department. That is a great Isn't it? Name. Isn't that fantastic? And he's, yeah. he's like just this like big bearded guy. And the interviews that I saw, I was like, oh, my God, I love this dude. But so he was assigned, he was the detective assigned to this case, and he was actually absolutely crucial in this case getting solved. He is a a badass. I want to give him like the biggest hug. He had the stick-to-itiveness. Yes. And, And this case like haunted him from the moment like he stepped into the crime scene, especially because of the death of Kevin. He said the image of him lying, you know, in a pool of blood in his crib next to his favorite teddy bear was like forever burned in his brain and he had a picture of his son at the same age and said that they could have been identical twins oh my gosh well and also like having having an image of like looking at a crib and seeing blood yeah that though they don't go together mm-hmm. it's very jarring but he said that he kept so. the picture of his son and of kevin on his wall until the case was solved those were like his motivation mm-hmm so when detectives first came on the scene, it became clear pretty immediately that robbery was was not a motive. There was no forced entry into the home and nothing of value seemed to be missing. So initially, police thought that the scene appeared to be a murder-suicide, which would make sense. I mean, just kind of mm, at first glance. Mm-hmm. They assumed that John had murdered his wife and son and then had killed himself. But as detectives were kind of looking around... For a murder weapon, there was no gun found at the scene. So they looked around okay. they looked around the chair he was sitting in, but there was nothing near it. So they like, you know, had to wait for the medical examiner to come and, and move the bodies. And they just assumed that maybe the gun had fallen like down in the chair or was under it yeah. or whatever. So they're like, well, we'll get there. So they they were kind of waiting on that, and as they're doing that, the, the crime scene investigators found a slug in the wall in Kevin's room, and it went through the mattress of his crib and into the sheetrock in the wall, and it was a hollow point twenty two Magnum slug, and it was completely intact, which is pretty rare. I don't know shit about guns or bullets or whatever, but apparently that's really rare because a hollow point shell is designed to just, like, shatter when it hits something. Yeah. Aren't they known as like the cop killer? Like, cause they're de- designed to do like super major. Yeah. Damage. It's almost like a shotgun blast. Once it gets inside you, yeah. it just like tears everything apart. Like, yeah. But because the slug was intact, they were really hopeful that like a ballistics test would at least lead them to a murder weapon. And, but this was like really the only evidence that they found at the scene. 
Detectives interviewed neighbors to see if, you know, they'd seen or heard anything, but the bodies were actually found on July 6th. So this was right after the 4th of July holiday. And of course, Americans fucking love fireworks. So there were still Mm, a lot of fireworks mm -hmm. going off at the time. And so people couldn't really say if, you know, they're like, yeah, we heard stuff, but they didn't, weren't able to tell if it was gunshots or not. So it was a firework. So everyone that, that police interviewed described John Wanstroth as just a super kind man who loved his wife and adored his son and would not be capable of hurting either of them. He was just the guy that had, he had no enemies He was really well liked and respected by just anyone that knew him. And Diane, Diane, Diane and John were both described as little did it about Jack and Diane. That was fantastic. Oh, shit. Keeping it light. Keeping it light. Okay. (laughs) So they were described as just like absolutely amazing parents. They adored their little boy. Loved Mm -hmm. him to pieces. And they just, everybody around them was like, they were just a loving, happy couple. Just, they seemed to have it all. So John was a successful oceanographer, which is really cool. Like, you know. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, it's like, how often are you like, he's an oceanographer. And then Diana was a stay-at-home mom. She stayed at home with Kevin, which is awesome. And so it just didn't make sense. Like, who the hell would want to Mm-mm. hurt these people? Completely out of character. Yeah. yeah. So after the bodies were removed from the house, detectives could not find a gun at the house. They looked under the chair, took everything apart, which ruled out any theories of murder-suicide. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah. It just became clear that it was obviously like a triple homicide. Um, And due to no forced entry, it seemed like they probably knew the killer and kind of willingly, you know, let them into their Mm -hmm. house. Like they were they were specifically targeted. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and John was just sitting in his chair. It's not like he was running away. They were not expecting. Yeah, exactly. So see, like they obviously knew who who it was. No defensive wounds or anything like that. So Detective Johnny Bonds, which I just fucking love it. I want a Johnny Bonds shirt. I need it. He learned that that Diana had had a phone conversation with her brother, whose name is Markham Duff Smith. Markham Duff Smith or Markham Duff Smith? Markham Duff hyphen Smith. His last name is Duff Smith. Got it. So they'd had a conversation the night before from like 9 30 to 10 o'clock and he stated like he told the police that nothing seemed out of the ordinary when he spoke with her and a neighbor had said that they they'd seen a blue car in the one driveway that they didn't recognize that night but really they had nothing to go on like nothing there were just no major clues so police are kind of like fuck so they theorized that like the, the murder must have taken place right after the phone conversation that she'd had with her brother. And they also assumed that they must have taken place for financial reasons. They couldn't think of any other thing, you know, just finding no enemies with any of them or anything that must have been for financial reasons. Because the the Wanstras were doing quite well. They lived in a really nice home in a really nice neighborhood. And their estate was estimated to be around $500,000 
which is okay. a lot of money now. And that was a lot of fucking money in 1979. For sure. So yeah. they kind of started to go, okay, well, so who would have gained from the deaths of this family? Mm. So they went to George Wanstroth, who is, is John's brother. He became a, a person of interest. George and his wife wasted no time, apparently, like going through John and Diana's home and just kind of staking their claim on items. Oh, that's Yeah, so it's tacky. just gross. It's fucking icky. And George was set to inherit a good chunk of money after his brother John's death. And the two of them had had some pretty serious arguments about money in the past. They had a John and George. Yeah. Yeah. So these brothers. Okay. And so they had a very wealthy aunt who had left them both an inheritance and they had a, a like a disagreement recently about this money. I think she was part of like the Exxon money or something like there was some like oil money that she was in. So they probably had a pretty good inheritance. And so George was brought in by police for questioning and seemed really just genuinely shocked and upset by the murders. He was also super cooperative. He passed a polygraph test and they discovered that he was actually also in Mississippi the night of the murder. So he was like cleared pretty damn quickly as a suspect. He was just a shithead for wanting his Mm, brother's mm -hmm. stuff right after he was killed. It's a very low. Yeah. Scumbag. So since very little evidence was found at the crime scene, police were really hoping to learn a lot from that slug that was found at the house. And ballistics tests determined that the bullet came from one type of gun, which mm. is rare because wow. usually you'll get like a list of... Like you've narrowed it down to a Yeah, few. like 10 models or whatever, but it was like very specific which gun this came from, but they just needed to fucking find it. But it was something. It was like narrowing a little bit. So while detectives were trying to figure out who murdered the family, the county medical examiner concluded that Diana Wanstroth had killed her husband and son and then shot herself. Whoa. Okay, so flipped it. Yeah. What appeared to be an obvious triple homicide, the medical examiner was like, nope, this was a murder-suicide. She killed Evan and John and then turned the gun on herself. Yeah, but with what? How the fuck did she do that? I was going to say there was no gun exactly. found at the crime scene. There was, there okay. was no weapon. And did the medical examiner say why he or she came to this conclusion? Yeah. So he, the decision was was primarily based on the death of Diana's mother, whose name is Gertrude Zabolio. Another fucking great name. Yeah, that's a good name. So she had killed herself four years earlier. And so the medical examiner authorized what he was what he referred to as a psychological autopsy, which basically led him to assume that like the depression that had caused Gertrude to take her own life was passed down to Diana and that he, Um, he, yeah. So he theorized that the stress of motherhood was just too much for Diana to handle and that she killed her husband and her baby and herself um, simply based um, on the suicide of her mother. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take a quick sip of this delicious bourbon. Yeah. Samesies. And uh, aren't medical examiners supposed to come to conclusions based on fact that they are able to deduce yeah, evidence, not autopsy? theories? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Oh, okay. for sure. 
so yeah, there was no mention of like gunshot residue on her hands or, you know, that she, nothing. It was just like, nope, she was probably suicidal because her mom committed suicide. So she did this and then someone took the gun, I guess. Anyway. Well, this was in 1979 and, you know, perhaps maybe the the medical field wasn't as advanced then. Yeah. Certainly as it is now. It, it also requires a little common fucking sense. I mean, and I feel like there was. Yeah, I'm trying to see it from like the medical examiner's side. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I'm just, there must be something that we're not seeing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So he, he concluded it was a murder suicide by, by Diana. Yeah. So people who actually knew Diana were fucking furious because they knew that she could never hurt John and she could never hurt her baby. They said she was incredibly happy and a devout Catholic. So murder mm. and suicide, suicide is a sin. Yeah, and, and yep. murder, obviously, it, it just went against everything that she believed in. So they were like, there is no fucking way. There is no fucking way that she did this. And they're pissed because obviously, like now she's just being pegged as this like monster when they knew that she wouldn't have been capable of it. Well, and with the medical examiner's ruling, doesn't doesn't that like handcuff pardon the pun the cops too yeah so actually yeah so i was i was kind of getting to that because the because of that ruling like he had concluded that like an unknown party must have come in and grabbed the gun and like it just didn't make any sense but based on that determination the murder investigation ended but fr oh, friends of the Wanstras man. called and begged Detective Vons. They were like, please continue this investigation. And, you know, they, they didn't want Diana to be defined as a murderer. And they, of course, wanted, like, the actual person responsible to be held accountable and for the truth to be uncovered. But the medical examiner was very well respected and he had very strong political ties, which... Oh, added fuck. even more dimensions of bullshit so detective bonds was basically just told like you need to back the fuck off and just leave the ruling of a murder suicide alone and the case was closed unfortunately like this is such bullshit when he refused to stop fighting like for the case he was actually transferred out of homicide to internal affairs which is like wow it's like we're as far away from detective work. Yeah, as that's like get. where you got in trouble. So you got to go to IA. And he was really, really close to losing his job because he was like, this. He was so passionate. This doesn't make any sense. It. And but he ended up oh making gosh. copies of all the case files, and he kept working on the case in his spare time. He he that's just, right, Johnny B. He just wasn't gonna let it go. And like I said, he still had the pictures of Kevin and his son that were just like motivating him. He had a gut feeling. Yeah. Like, it's not a murder-suicide. So he's kind of still working on it, like, on the side. And he ended up getting a huge break in the case when he received a call from a guy named Rick Nelson, who was a reporter with the Houston Post. But so Rick called, and he's like, yo, what up, nerd? He probably, he probably didn't say that, but that's how I start calls. <laughs> and he's like, I have some information on that Wanstroth case that you're working on that you might be soups interested in. And so and Detective Bonds is like, Johnny B was like, hit me with me it. Sit down. Yeah. 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 Let me get my pen, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's my notepad. <laughs> so he had gotten Rick, Rick Nelson had gotten a, like an anonymous tip from someone saying that they knew who was responsible for the murders. 
and that they said they needed to look real hard into Mark Markham Duff Smith, Diana's brother. Oh, I knew that name was going to come back. Because he was the one who orchestrated the crime. But Detective Bond said that he was not impressed with Markham when he'd first like interviewed them after the deaths. That he was like, he didn't really show any emotion about like the murder of his sister, his nephew, and his brother-in-law. I mean, like who would not be upset about this? And he also just kind of seemed like he was inconvenienced that he had to make time to to talk to detectives and just was like, can we wrap this up? So he just sounds like he was a real dick. And Detective Bonds just, there was something about him that he was like, "Mm -mm." and he started looking deeper into Markham and what he discovered was not great. So Markham Duff Smith, this motherfucker, he was an insurance broker and had started his own agency. And initially he did really well for himself, but he spent money like a complete asshole. He bought expensive clothes and luxury cars and went on fancy cruises and it all eventually caught up with him and basically found himself completely in debt in 1975. And it turns out he was like a total con man. So th- this is Johnny Bonds oh. like digging deeper into this guy. And so he was he was scamming like his insurance clients. So basically he would uh. sell insurance policies, but he would make the initial down payment himself. So he would end up getting a commission for the claim, but then no premiums would get paid after that. And so the policies would lapse. So he would just like take the commission like these people didn't know that there was an insurance policy on them. So they wouldn't pay anything. So they would end up lapsing. And then so the insurance companies would plan to like recoup the commissions from his future commissions because they're like this policy ended. So we're going to, you know, you don't get it for the full year or whatever. But he would just quit and move on to work for another company. So he would open these insurance policies for people, but they didn't know. Yeah. So, so I would open one policies. like oh, okay. under you, but I would make the payment and you wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Cause I wasn't the one. Yeah. Opening and it. so then I would Got get it. commission and then you wouldn't pay. Cause you didn't know it fucking existed. So then it go to default, but I still have the commission. And so then as these mm. insurance companies are starting to be like, okay, well, we're going to have to like, you're going to have to give us that back. We'll just take it out of your future pay. Then, then he would, he would just leave and move on shyster just yeah a dick. so as detective bonds was like uncovering all of his like of markham's like just scamming bullshit he discovered that there was still an active claim the only one that hadn't lapsed and it was for john wanstroth that had been purchased <gasps> seven months before he was murdered so he pulled so 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 he opened one for john so markham opened one for john john i didn't know this right. but he was making the payments on it and kept it, kept it open. It was the only one that he him. kept active. Oh. I believe it was like a $250,000 claim and someone had been making payments on it, but it wasn't John. So Detective Bonds was like, pretty sure that this is Markham doing his same old shit, but for his brother-in-law and that he, you know, he had obviously been the one making these payments and he learned that Markham was Diana's only living relative. So he would be getting at least half of the Wanstroth estate. Right. Plus the life insurance for John. So this fucker stood to oh make God. a lot of money off of their deaths. So then why did he take the insurance policy out on John and not Diana? Probably because he already knew he would get the estate in her name. 
Mm, okay. I mean, who knows? Or maybe because he would only get half the estate, but he would get the insurance policy payout on John, mm-hmm. which would kind of make up for the other half of the estate. Right. Got yeah. it. Got it. I'm tracking. So Detective Bond thought he's like he has to be responsible for these murders, but just needed to find the evidence. So he was like on a mission. So they went to go speak with Markham and he told detectives that he'd been home with his wife, Cindy, the night of the murders. And she vouched for him. She took a polygraph and passed and confirmed that he'd been with her and that, you know, he couldn't have been the killer. So even though, you know, something just wasn't sitting right with Detective Bonds about Markham, he still had no evidence that he could take to the DA to file charges. Then there was also that bullshit ruling, you know, of the murder-suicide from the medical examiner. And so just months were going by with no new evidence. But Bonds just kind of kept his eye on Markham. He was like, I just, something about that fucker. I just don't, don't like it. And so it was like more than a year after the murders at this point. And he learned that Markham had divorced his wife, Cindy, and moved into a mansion with his best friend, Walt Waldhauser. What? Who does that? These two ding-dongs were just like living in this house, like blowing through money like crazy. It's not like he got $400 million. Right. He only got like 500000 But he was really good at spending money he didn't have. So I think he probably, oh, yeah, you know, okay. it's like buy a mansion, but you don't make payments. So we're just going to fucking ride it out and live like kings. Sure. You know, just idiots. Idiots. Holy moly. There's a radar, Markham. <laughs> Stay under it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think people like that also get cocky. Oh, yeah. It's just like I'm untouchable. Nobody. Mm-hmm. It's been a year at this point. They're not on to me. Look, I. Three people and I got away with it and I got an insurance payout and I got half of an estate. Look, look, I'm untouchable. I'm so smart. Cops can't catch me. Oh, yeah. And just wait. Just wait. Mm. This guy. So Detective Bonds got the idea. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to Markham's ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And so he told her about the insurance scams and girlfriends. Like, I think Markham had been diddling on the side and he'd taken out credit cards in her name and then maxed them out and not paid them and like had absolutely destroyed her credit and she she didn't really know any of this so he was thinking that he could kind of get her to turn on this asshole but even after hearing all of that she was just like i don't think he could be responsible for the murders and she ended up asking detective vons to leave she was like please Please go. So she was just kind of like, no, 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 no. I mean, but like, honestly, who wants to believe that like their spouse could I kill their family? Yeah. You don't want to face the fact that you might have been married to somebody that could be a murderer. Oh, for sure. That you were so, like your judgment of character was was off or you didn't see it. Right. It's almost like it's, it has nothing to do with Markham and it has everything to do with Cindy. Right. right. Or that that could have happened and she would have had no idea that no idea. he was scheming like, that's and planning all of that. Scary. Like, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. That's really... And all of the like fucking fraud that he was doing behind her Yeah. Back. So she, I think she probably just needed some time to process and just be like, fuck. Yeah. Because that's a big, that's a big thrown for a loop yeah thing. so she just took all that info he gave her and then she ended up calling him back mm-hmm. hey johnny b she was like look i still 
don't believe that Markham is a killer, but she said she wanted to help any way that she could. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that she was like hoping that she could clear Markham's name to kind Mm -hmm. of clear Mm -hmm. her name in essence. But then Mm -hmm. also like she loved the Wanstras and she wanted to be able to help find whoever was responsible. Like she wanted to get justice for them. Like if, if it wasn't a murder suicide, okay. However I can help find whoever did this, like count me in. Yeah. Maybe she was approaching it in the terms of, you know what? I don't believe that he did it. So let's go ahead and clear him. Yeah. And like, how can I help? So she just was a good person and wanted to to do the right thing. So she told Bonds that if her ex-husband had been part of any plot to commit murders, that his best pal slash roommate, Walty, his, his pal Walt would definitely have been involved. Now Bonds is like, oh, great. I got to look into this motherfucker. So Walt Waldhauser, I'm not sure what his parents were (laughs) thinking. (laughs) So Walt Waldhauser was like an incredibly smart guy, but the kind of smart guy that like chose to scheme and be like a criminal and use his smarts for nefarious ways. Other than being a productive member of society, he chose to be a shithead. Detective Bonds was like, I'm probably not going to get anything from this guy because he's going to protect his buddy. And they're like, yeah, thick as thieves, whatever. But Markham's ex-wife, Cindy, had suggested that the detective talk to Waldhauser's ex-wife, Debbie, who he had just divorced. So these dudes were like, we got money. Let's divorce our wives. Yes, exactly. That seems odd. Yeah. Okay. Live your best life, but maybe not if you're murdering people. But it seems like they might have had like a co-midlife crisis. And they were just like, let's get rid of these anchors, a.k.a. our wives. Yeah, let's live it up. Like he had just divorced his wife, Debbie. So Cindy was like, hey, Debbie. Talk to her, man. Like, I'm going to I'm going to reach out to her. And and she ended up agreeing to work with the detective. So now there's these two ex-wives that are like, Detective Bonds, whatever we can do to help, we will. So unlike Cindy, Debbie Waldhauser had no trouble believing that her ex-husband could have been involved in a crime. And she she knew that he and his friends were dangerous. And she told Bonds that he had one friend in particular that really, really fucking scared her. And his name was Alan Wayne Janeka, who had an extensive criminal record and had previously been in prison. And so she allowed police mm. to come into the to their house and do a search and they found letters like probably like I think like four or five letters that he had written to Walt while he was in prison that Alan Alan had written yes. to Walt yeah while okay. he was in prison so they were like maybe this guy was involved with the shootings because he's like a known criminal and so they were like, we need to find this guy and see if he's involved somehow. So they ended up going to try and find him in Georgia, which is where they knew his girlfriend was living. And so police planned to kind of like sneak in and follow his girlfriend around, hoping that she would lead them right to Janeka. And mm-hmm. so while she was out at a bar one night, she just like spills the beans to some guy about a gun that she was hiding for her boyfriend. Oh, my God. And she's like, it's a gun that he used to kill some people in Houston. It turns out the man that she had talked to 
unbeknownst to her, was a former police officer who obviously turned all this information over to detectives. Of course he did. And so then, of course, police go talk to Loose Lips McGee and and they're like, yo, (laughs) where's your boyfriend and where's the gun? And so they ended up telling her, like, look, you're going to go to jail, too, if you don't turn over this gun that you're just blabbing about so she just like gets up walks to the bedroom and comes back holding a loaded fucking pistol which turned out to be a colt frontier scout which was the exact type of gun yes that the ballistics test identified as the murder weapon and so they're like fuck yeah and janeka's girlfriend was also like also he went back to houston and here's the address where he's staying. So they went and arrested him for the murders. Boom, fucker. Yeah, she's like, oh, um, yeah, here's the gun. Oh, here's where he is. And I don't want any part of this. I'm out. I'm just going to go play some pool at the bar and tell some more fucking stories that I probably need to keep to myself. Yeah. Good thing Loose Lips McGee decided to, you know. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I don't want to go to jail. Tell stories. Yeah. I'm too chatty for jail. Johnny B was probably spanking the air. He was so happy. Well, and this was like his partner oh that had gone down there. So his partner was like calling him from Georgia, like, dude, are you like, guess fucking what? Exactly. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure he was back in Texas, like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So once they had him in custody, Alan Janeka like completely confessed to the murders. And he, oh, he, yeah. So he was like, he didn't even put up a no, fuss. No, he was just like, yeah, I did. Yeah, it, was, it me. was me. And but he told police that Walt Waldhauser had been with him the entire time at the Wanstrath house the night of the murders. He said that they drove to their house around nine o'clock and knocked on the door. So John and Diana actually knew Walt. So they let him in. They're like, hey, come on in, you know? And so they were like sitting and chatting. Janeka was on a couch across the room from john and diana like john was in his chair so they were just kind of sitting there chatting until waldhauser signaled to janeka just kind of nodded at him like it's time and it was like the cue for him to begin the attacks oh my god so he stood up and like walked across the room walked up behind john and just shot him in the back of the fucking head oh my god and diana was sitting there going yeah so she ends up i'm assuming jumping up yeah. So Waldhauser held her down on the ground oh while Janeka shot her. And then Waldhauser went to the nursery and was like, and then made Janeka follow him. And he told him to, quote, get the kid. And he shot Kevin in the back of the head while he was sleeping in his crib. Well, fuck. That is heavy. I mean, the good thing is, is that Kevin was sleeping. Yes, he wasn't scared, he wasn't crying, and he was, I think, surrounded by stuffed animals, I believe it was said, and so he did not know what was happening, and at least with all three of them, it probably happened very quickly, but yes, as far as Kevin goes, he did not know what was happening, and it was quick. Those are the only two things to be thankful for in all this, but why these disgusting fucking turds couldn't have just left him but the only thing i can think of is that he would have become the sole proprietor or or whatever Mm. of the estate 
the heir, the beneficiary. Yeah. So he needed to go too. Well, and honestly, who knows how long it would have taken for people to realize something was wrong yeah. because they hadn't seen John and Diana. And well, but those two women came to the house the next morning, so he would. Oh, he would true. have that's been true. there. So he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have suffered long. These idiots wouldn't have known that. So it could have been days. You know that he was there it by could himself. Have been. Yeah. Fuck. It's God. like now knowing that those two women could have. They went in. They could have gotten him. Hell yeah. I mean, I get no murder is good, but I don't know. Kids, they're innocent. Yeah. There's an innocence. I just, it's fucking shame. Mm. God. Yeah. Okay. So Waldhauser and Janeko were both convicted of the murders, but they still needed more evidence to, for Mark, yeah, to be able to go after him. There has to be a link because, I mean, there has to be a link. Yeah, so they're like, we got to get the mastermind. Like, he's the one that caused all this shit, but how, we got to, like, have – we got to nail him when we get him. So prosecutors knew that the only way that they could probably, like, get Markham was to cut a deal with his best bro, Waldhauser. So they approached him, and he agreed to a plea deal after learning about Janeka's detailed confession. Because Janeka's just like, yeah, he was fucking with me the entire time. Like, sold him down the river. So once he started talking about the plan, there was much more to the story than what they'd realized. So this case oh. takes an even bigger, like, what the fuck twist. So remember I mentioned uh, previously that Markham and Diana's mother had committed suicide? Four years yes. before the murder? No. Yes, and that's the ME decided that that was the reason why it was a murder-suicide yeah. because of that. Yeah. Nope. They uh, learned once old Spill the Beans started chatting that uh, their mother, so Markham and Diana's mother, Gertrude Zabolio, had actually been murdered by Janeka as well. And what now? he staged it to look like a suicide. So Markham, four years before these murders had devised a plan with Walt Waldhauser to kill his mother and her husband so they could collect the money from her estate. Wow. Yeah. Holy shish kebabs. So Waldhauser was like, hey, we're murdery, greedy assholes, and I know another asshole. So they reached out to some guy named Paul McDonald, who I couldn't get a whole bunch of info on, but it was like another guy in their circle and they were like, look, we need to find somebody who can take out Markham's mom. And he was like, hey, I know a guy who likes to murder. And this is kind of where Janeka was brought into their little fold. So there's like these oh four God. guys conspiring all of this. So the plan was to murder Gertrude and her husband, Dow. But he was fortunately out of the country. I think he was in Austria. Um, but he was out of the country on business at the time, which is the only reason that he was spared. Oh, my God. Gertrude ended up being murdered on October 15th of 1975 by Alan Janeka, who was paid $10,000 by Markham for oh the murder. He said that, like, so he, you know, confessed to the entire thing, like all four of these murders. He was like, yep, I did it. Here's exactly what happened. He said that he waited for her to return from a restaurant that she went to like the same time every week. So they knew when she was going to be gone. <laughs> Goals. Yeah. So he forced her into the house at gunpoint and then strangled her with pantyhose. Oh my God. And they, I'm sure 
per Barkham's request, he left a suicide note in her bedroom and like a practice pantyhose that was like, like tied in a loop. So it made it look like she'd practice on herself to figure out the best way they'd left that in a drawer. So when police found this stuff, they were like, oh yeah, she was obviously planning on killing herself. That's fucking, that's vile. So her death had been ruled as a suicide by the medical examiner. And so I just kind of wanted to give like a quick little background because Markham was actually adopted when he was two weeks old. And so he, he had a great life in some aspects, like he was sent to private schools and, you know, given really great opportunities to hopefully become successful later in life. But his adopted mother, Gertrude, definitely like treated him differently by a lot of Mm. accounts and so he had a lot of financial support but little love and emotional support so i think he kind of had a rough childhood fuck you up and they allegedly fought a lot about money because she refused to finance his lavish lifestyle and overspending so she was just kind of like no i'm not doing this anymore and he'd apparently told a lot of people over time that he just wished she was dead and so I, I feel like there wasn't a big connection there and that like there was no love lost like with her death. So it was just kind of it was what it was. So because of the confessions from Waldhauser and, and Janeka, the medical examiner was like, whoopsie, and decided to change the deaths of Diana Wanstroth and her mother, Gertrude, from suicides to homicide. I just picture them with like wide out like, we'll just change that like write homicide in there it's like yeah idiots so this led to like markham finally being charged with capital murder and after his trial a jury returned with a guilty verdict within like 15 minutes (laughs) of deliberating and he was given a death sentence (laughs) <laughs> they just went back in their room they're like this motherfucker's guilty is does anybody think he's not guilty no okay well let's wait another 14 minutes just to make it look like you know we like talked about yeah, it they're so. like everybody have a snack and sip on some water and then oh we'll God. shoot back it's like i think they probably just all like peed and then they went <laughs> <laughs> they went back out like a 50 15 minute smoke break jesus so he was sentenced to death. And then Wayne Janeka was was also sentenced to death. He obviously was the one who killed all four of these people. Mm-hmm. And he was executed in 2003 when he was mm. 53 years old and after he'd been on death row for 22 years. Oh, wow. He'd apparently found Jesus while he was behind bars and was remorseful for the murders. And prior to his execution, he said... For many years, I have done things my way, which has caused a lot of pain to me, my family, and many others, which I really love how he fucking put himself first in the list of people (laughs) impacted by his actions. Yeah. Whatever. Um, And then he said, today I have come to realize that for peace and happiness, one has to do things God's way. So he was actually a fuckhead, but like was at least remorseful in the end. And then Walter Waldhauser, so Walty Wald, agreed to a plea bargain for a 30-year sentence. Like, that's how much it was Mm. reduced. And he was Mm. paroled after only nine years in prison. Stop. Stop it. No. 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 Stop it. Yeah. 
So he he changed his name to Michael Davis and was out for a while. I think he actually like tried to go to law school or did go to law school, but I, I don't know. He like did all this shit, but he ended up back in prison on an unrelated conviction for theft. So as far as I know, he's still in prison. Paul McDonald, who was the one who connected all of them to Janeka, was sentenced to 16 years for murder, but he was paroled after only serving three years. What so he he had like the least involved role, but still it was like, oh my God, you guys. So Markham Duff Smith was executed by lethal injection in Huntsville, Texas at the age of 46 on June 29th, 1993. Oh, wow. Okay. And he had denied any role in the murders of his sister and her family until right before the execution. And as he was laying on the gurney in the, the final moments before he was executed, he said, I am the center of all sinners. I'm responsible for the 75 and 79 cases. So he actually wow. like on his so deathbed. He confessed. Yeah. Agreed. Dickhead. You that's a legit deathbed yeah. confession right there. Yep. And so what he was Kevin's fucking godfather. And there are pictures of him holding Kevin the day before the murders. Like there's pictures with Markham and his wife holding Kevin the day before the fucking murders, his godson. He already knew he was going to do that. The plan was already in motion. Yeah. And so he's holding the sweet little boy knowing tomorrow night, this kid is dead and I'm going to take the money of this estate so how i mean how you can coordinate the death of your godson a baby your sister your mother and your brother-in-law is absolutely the lowest of the fucking low it's just disgusting so he uh is hopefully living a life full of paper cuts and rubbing alcohol i don't know something there you go but anyway so that's uh that's that that's the horrific tale of john diana and kevin wanstroth and gertrude zabolia that's a doozy yeah fuck again i wonder like what are these people thinking like it's all about the money and they just are like oh these these people are in the way forget the fact that this is my mom and my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew and I'm just going to kill him. I'm just going to, I just want the money. I don't give a shit about them. He was married too. Like, Mm -hmm. is he even, is he capable of love? And that's where like the human, like humanity gets complex. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, you think about like, maybe he could love, but compartmentalized love. I don't know. I don't know, know, but it's just, it's foul. That's (sighs) he, I mean, he, so he killed his mom got a buttload of money and then burned through the money didn't get caught nobody suspected anything and what did that teach him it taught him oh i can kill and get money i'll burn through it and i'll just kill again i'm my sister's only living relative so if i take out her and her family then i get access to all their wealth while i'm at it i'm going to go ahead and take out an insurance policy on my brother-in-law so i can get i can get quote unquote de facto his half yeah and if he hadn't been caught Who's to say he wouldn't have just picked a, a rando victim and taken an insurance policy out on them and like Yeah, it may have been them. his best buddy Walt. Yeah, because he has no loyalty, clearly. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Thank God. Thank God for Johnny Bond. I know, right? He is a savior. Holy hell. I have a lot of respect for stick to Yeah. A lot of respect. If it's if it's funneled in the right way. Yeah. Right? I guess one could say Markham had stick to and that's not the kind I prefer. No. It's like, I'm going to solve this case for that little boy because his mom did not fucking kill him. And I'm not going to let that woman's name get run through the mud. Yeah. I don't know. And legacy is important. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Oh, well, so thank you, that. everybody, for listening. That was a fucking doozy. When this one comes out, it'll be the last day of 2023. What a great way to go out. Yeah. The capture of four fucking monsters. Monsters. Yeah. Yep. So, well, and if you haven't already, please, please go out and rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you have any case suggestions, ideas, etc. If you have, you know, personal, what's the word I'm looking for? If you have personal ties or connections. Thank you. Booze is getting in the way. <laughs> to a case, please email us. We'd love to hear about that and research the case. Yeah. Email us at crimewilltellpod at gmail.com. Yeah. We're always looking for case suggestions. And if you have a tasty bourbon that you could suggest or tasty beer or anything, (laughs) that would be great too. We want to know what you guys think. So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your loved ones, (laughs) send an email to everyone on your list. Just fucking spam them. (laughs) Yeah. Take out a billboard, whatever you have to do. Tell everyone. Shout it in a meeting. Whatever. Anyway. Okay. And with that. Goodbye, Carrie. Goodbye, Jamie. I I really like the way your hair smells. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, it smells good. Tickle party. Not that kind of tickle party. Everybody seemed fine. What is happening there? The fuck is that? I wanted some cookies. Don't get it on your feet. It's gross. Let me just finish chewing. Do you need a lozenge? Are you okay? That's so sweet. Did you say butt buddy? Don't ask me that shit. I don't know. Okay. I don't intend to offend. This booze is hitting me just right. <laughs>